welcome to the aquarium. <laughs> and it is my privilege to find your Bibles. And if you use the Pew Bible, it's page 821. Yay, the Pew Bibles are back. Yay. Thank you, Brian and Susie Van Dyke and those for putting those back. So at page 821, the book of Jonah. If you are looking for that in your own copy of God's Word, uh, it's between Obadiah and Micah. I'm sure that didn't help anybody. It is no worries to use the front part of the book. You know, like the table of contents, do not feel bad. Use it, go there, or in your devices, just say, Siri, find me Jonah. Today we are beginning a series as we want to continue uh, in our, uh, to, to really begin as we start to think about being a, a people of God who are concerned about the things that God is concerned about, that we're concerned about lost people, that we are concerned about the Great Commission and living the Great Commission and, and doing so together as a church. That is what God has gifted specifically the purpose of the church and church members to fulfill the Great Commission. And we're beginning kind of a four-week journey as we, we go towards our gospel to every home. On June 6th, that we'll be starting that. And, and today we're going to look at this wonderful book of the Old Testament that is both challenging uh, and grace-filled at the same time. It is a, it is a, maybe something that you're familiar with if you grew up in church, if you you didn't grow up in church. Actually, I believe that many people who have not grown up in church has heard about Jonah and something about a whale. And so we, this book might challenge you more than what you remember from your Sunday school class or what you've heard from fables and things throughout culture. Today, we're going to be walking through the text of chapter 1, and we're going to look and be challenged to be reminded that Yes, there was a Jonah, but we are Jonah at times too. So let's read chapter 1 of Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid to the fare and went down into, into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. But the Lord threw a great wind into the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship darkened, threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots and the lot singled out Jonah. They said to him, tell us, who is to blame for this trouble we're in? What is your business and where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? He answered them, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were seized by great fear and said to him, what is this you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. 
So they said to him, what should we do to you so that the, calm, the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm and that it is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land, and they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life, and don't charge us with, this, with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you have pleased. And they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you with, with open hearts and open minds that the Spirit would speak to us through your word, that it would both convict us and challenge us encourage us and equip us and that your word though we may even be familiar with this story be like it is as fresh as this morning's news and that you would give us grace to obey in Jesus name amen in the book of Jonah we see a missionary God who is concerned about the lostness of the nations who is willing to send his own prophet to tell them to repent and believe. But we see a prophet who disobeys God and wants to go his own way. Jonah's book is unique among the minor prophets. The 12 that encompass the back of the, uh, the Old Testament, not because the prophets are minor or not because that they are less important or less important scripture, but instead that they're just smaller in nature to the book. This book particularly, only four chapters, sees and shows to us an important nature about God, his grace, and our purpose. Now, some people who have said that this is just a fable, that this is just a parable or a myth, that it was just included because it was just to teach us some light truths about God. They point to the miraculous storm or the description of the fish or the vast size of Nineveh, or that the, how quickly the Nineveh people repent, or the quickly growing vine. But basically, all the miraculous aspects of this book, they reject. And reject because it can't comprehend their worldview. But there's too much in this book as evidence to see that this is a factual account. First of all, it's too long to be a parable. A parable is normally just a few paragraphs to, to show an illustration of something. It's, it's too detailed. The characters are too lifelike. Who were the sailors? Where were they from? Where were they going? Who was Jonah? Well, Jonah was a historical person. We see and we'll read about in a few minutes from 2 Kings, but it talks about who his dad was. We see that they mention actual cities, Joppa, Tarshish and Nineveh were actually ancient cities. And it, and it also is in a specific set of time in the 8th century BC. But most importantly, when we look at this book and consider whether it's fact or fiction, Jesus treated the story of Jonah as historical. 
And if we reject that, and we reject the opinion of Jesus, what does it say about our opinion of Jesus? If we say opposite of him. So in this book, we see a historical account of Jonah and his response to God. And what does it suggest about us? Well, this this chapter, Jonah runs from God, his plan for his life, and God sends a storm in order to pull him back onto the right path. Maybe this morning, we should ask ourselves, what are we running from God in? And what aspect of our lives have we saw or heard or know from our scripture reading that this is a clear command and call of God, and yet we've decided to go the other way? Maybe it's a specific sin that we want to harbor in our lives. Maybe it's something that we know God has called us to do that will cost us a lot. Maybe it's just even the fact that the same calling on to Jonah, that to call people to repent and to believe is the same calling on every Christian that Jesus has given us to go make disciples and baptize them, teaching them everything that you know about Jesus. Maybe it's even in that rejection of God's clear, perfect will to go and tell that we turn the other way. Well, we cannot actually read this text and not agree that there are many times in our walk with God, many times in our lives, that we are like Jonah. So in this chapter, I want us to see four ways that we are Jonah. Number one, we are like Jonah because we are sovereignly called. We are like Jonah because we are sovereignly called. When verse one, we see the word of the Lord came to Jonah Son of Amittai, get up, go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Now, Jonah was known as a great prophet. Yes, he's got his own book related to him, but we know that there were many prophets that God had used uh, during the time of Israel and Judah to go and tell his people to repent. In 2 Kings 14.25, he is mentioned when it says, He restored Israel's border from the Lebo Hammock as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, had spoken through his servant, the prophet Jonah, son of Amittai, from Gath-Hefer. You see, Jonah had been successful. Jonah had followed God. Jonah had called people to repent, and God had used him already to do great things for him. And here we read that now Jonah has been called to do something different. Here we see three words, get up, go, and preach. There were three imperatives here in this Hebrew text that is commanding Jonah to go. Where was he to go? He was to go to Nineveh. He was to go and preach the word and preached repentance and trust in God to an evil city. Well, what do we know about Nineveh? Well, it's located in the Tigris River in the modern day Iraq. It was great in size according to historians. According to Jonah, it took three days to walk around. 
And historians tell us that the walls of Nineveh were so wide that three chariots could ride across them at the same time. It was huge in architecture, important in culture. It had the best singers. It was the regional superpower. But most importantly, as we read the Old Testament and we read history, it was great in its wickedness. You see, it was part of the Assyrian Empire that was conquering the world that God later judged through a different empire. But at that time, the Assyrians were wicked and taking over land and people left and right. It was written by historians that they would conquer a land, they would take the people, they would peel the skin off the men, women, and children and plaster the skin on the walls of their fortress. They would bury the people into the ground with only their heads sticking up above the ground and put a stake in their tongue into the ground in order to silence them. In that way was to be a warning to all other people, do not cross us. When you read the Old Testament, you also see something else. That Nineveh and the Assyrians hated Israel. And they were often the tip of the spear of their might and wickedness. So here when God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh, are we really surprised at Jonah's reaction? It's many of our reactions when we would be called to say, go to the biggest bully on the block and go tell them about Jesus or, 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 or go to the, some of our enemies of our country and tell them about Jesus. There's, there's some sort of reaction that we have. Why should we go there? Why do they deserve grace? And that's Jonah's reaction. And his sin in his heart boasts of pride The fact that we can be conduits of grace of God should overwhelm all of us of anything, insecurities, any pridefulness, any vengeance, any repercussions. We should be the first in line as Christians to say, I want to go tell the grace that has come to me to all people. And sin provokes God's anger as we see that it came, their evil has come before me, God has said. So sin provokes God's anger. And in the book of Jonah, God declares that it is time for Nineveh to either repent or pay up. His concern for righteousness is not limited to his own people, Israel. God has always been concerned about the whole world, the whole, all of the nations. And he calls Jonah then to go bear his testimony to the people of Nineveh. So here we see God calling sovereignly to a plan to call Nineveh to himself. He begins a plan by sending Jonah. We see that God sovereignly directs Jonah to go be the grace and message of God to these people. This should remind you, Christian, lest we forget that God sovereignly saved us. That he was part of the plan. He was the beginning of the plan. He constructed the plan. He brought the gospel to us and by his sovereign spirit saved us. He was working everything into order. 
you know that maybe someone had came to you to share the gospel. And make, maybe quickly we would, we would give honor to that person for, for sharing the gospel with us. And that would be the right thing to do. But we can't neglect that it wasn't just that person. It was the spirit of God and the power of God and the plan of God behind that person that quickened their heart, that directed them to you, that called them to obey and share the gospel. Maybe God used your Sunday school teacher. Maybe used your parents. Maybe used your friend at school. Whoever it was, God was behind it. And just as God sent Jonah to Nineveh, God sent someone to you to tell you about God's holiness, your sin, and the only remedy in Christ. If today you're not a Christian, and by chance that you have come upon this video, or you're downstairs in the fellowship hall, or you're here in this room by invitation, friend, that was not by accident. That was not by coincidence. That was not in a, a planning error on your part. It was because God sovereignly moved history to get you here to hear that God loves you and sent his son to die for you. Your salvation begins with God. And God has created Israel by his word. He would now save Nineveh by his word. And we know, but by his word, he creates his church. And as church today, we can be thankful that God has blessed us through the preaching of the word, that there were Saints that went before us, faithful gospel living, gospel teaching, countless men and women of faith who came before us in the churches to teach us about Christ, to teach us the truth of the scriptures. But it also must remind us of our reason to go. You say, well, why is it then a direction to me? If God is working, how does it have to be my role to go? Well, friends, God has sovereignly planned in all ways for the word of God to go to people through other people by using his word. God did not ordain uh, sky writing. He did, not write, you know, he did not choose to bring his word by pigeon or dove to people, but by redeemed, saved people sharing the gospel message to other people from, the, from Christ's ministry on earth to now, that is how it's happened. That someone shared the word with someone else who shared the word with someone else to that it got to you and that God's word saved you. And so therefore, it is our part and our reasoning that God would, would command us to then go. Because we know when we obey, that meant that God had already planned for us to do this. Why are we going to do gospel to every home? Because we need to go to every home in northern Kentucky that God has stationed us as the lighthouse of the gospel. That they might hear about Jesus. And when we say that we are calling you and calling each other to go together. Think about how God had worked for you to be here, to go on a team, to knock on that door that connects specifically to that person that they might hear and God might use that through the spirit that they might believe. Brothers and sisters, that's what I wanna be a part of. That's what I want to be, that God might use me to share the gospel that someone might be saved. 
So what are you doing? What are you doing to share the gospel and be a part of God's plan to share the good news? You know, I, I understand many people, uh, anytime that we talk about going door to door and knocking, many people say, boy, I, that's not me. I, I'm not really, that's not kind of my, my strategy or my plan. And, you know, I guess my question would be, well, then what's your plan? How are you sharing the gospel? And some people say, well, that's not the best strategy. You know, you have to walk, knock on so many doors and do this. Well, okay, then tell me your strategy. What are you doing? Tell me what's the next plan that you're going to do. Because if we've been called to go, how are we going to do it? We understand that God is sovereignly working and that your obedience works in his plan that someone might be saved. And that's how we are like Jonah. Because God is calling you to go just like he is. Secondly, we are like Jonah because we are rebels. We are rebels. Now, if this story was perfect, in the way we, you know, we would ideally like to tell this story, that, we, that Jonah got up and went, right? That the, you know, hey, Jonah got up, he went to Nineveh, and everybody got saved, and boop, at the end. We could get that done in a page. But what we know, according to scriptures, why we know the Bible is trustworthy, is the Bible shows that God's people aren't perfect, and that God still uses imperfect people. That even though Jonah said no, God still used him. But we also know there's only one who perfectly fulfilled the commands of God, and that is Jesus. But we see here that Jonah immediately rebelled against God. Rebellion is simply saying no to God. So if, God, if Jonah was in Israel and he was supposed to go to Nineveh, if you're looking on a map, you're supposed to go northeast. Well, what did Jonah do? Well, actually, he went south down to Joppa to go to the, the port. And then where was he heading? He was going to Tarshish. Well, where is Tarshish? Well, it's a port city in Spain, which is the furthest west of the known world at that time was Spain. So God said, Jonah, go east. Jonah said, okay, I'm going west. That's where I'm going. Not only was it a spiritual rebellion, but it was a physical one. Jonah was rejecting where God was telling him to go, to go the opposite way of where, where he was supposed to go. What did Jonah think he was doing? Did he think by running away that somehow he was going to skip God's will for his life or that God wasn't going to be able to find him? It would be like moving out of cell phone range or something. He thought maybe if he got out far enough that maybe God wouldn't know that he wasn't following or that he wasn't doing what God was supposed to do. But we know the scriptures. He knew the scriptures. Psalm 139, 7 through 10. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle in the western limits, even there, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. Here we see that Jonah was disobeying and rebelling against God. And when we do, there is no hiding from his judgment if you're non-Christian, let me just point out that Jonah's disobedience is only one of many accounts in the Bible 
that describe the reality that faces us, that we all sin and we're all under God's judgment. Well, you know what sin is? Sin is just simply disobeying God. Sin is not doing what God calls us to do. And sin is fleeing God, and that's what Jonah did. The Bible teaches that everyone, from the wicked Ninevites to the running prophet Jonah, and you and me, that we're all sinners, and God will hold us to account. I will have to give an account. You will have to give an account. We need to notice another thing about Jonah's flight. Yes, it was sinful, but in, technically it was legal. He went down and paid for a ticket to the boat. You know, sometimes Christians, we can be tempted to equate illegal and immoral behavior with legal and moral. But Jonah booked a passage on a ship and paid for it. He wasn't a stowaway. He acted legally. And I can't tell you how many times I've counseled or been with someone who said, you know, I know God wanted me to do this, but look, this happened over here and it just everything worked out. Almost excusing the fact that they had disobeyed exactly what God had asked them to do. But let me tell you something. If you want to run from God, there will always be a ship ready to Tarshish. There's always going to be a way to disobey God. There's always going to be a way to to disobedience. There's always going to be uh, another person that your wandering eyes might return your flirtations. If you want out of your marriage, there will always be some too-good-to-be-true relationship waiting around the corner If you tolerate greed in your life, there's always a great deal or something to buy or something to cheat and sell that's easy to get to. Friend, we should obey God. And if you're a Christian and you're trying to run away from God in some area of your life, realize that you will never succeed. You can never outrun God. And your sin can never outrun his judgment. It will always be a waste of time. It will always bring you sorrow. And do you really think he might not see it? Wasn't that kind of the mistake that Adam and Eve tried to make? They hid, hoping God wouldn't see? Brothers and sisters, this is not a game that we can play because number three, we are like Jonah because our sin takes us further from God. If you notice in verse three, It uses the phrase, from the presence of God. And notice this. He went down several times. First, he went down to Joppa. Then he went down into the boat. And in verse 5, it says that he went down in the ship sleeping while a violent storm was going on. Brothers and sisters, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Notice how Jonah kept going. There was a, that he went down from God's presence of Jerusalem. He went further away into the boat. He he sank into a sleep. While a violent storm was going on, Jonah was sleeping. He was missing the clear message he was receiving from God. 
And our rebellion against God takes us farther away to where we can't see his plan for life. We don't see what's going on. We, we are desensitized to the Holy Spirit so that when we're sinning, we no longer feel that, that pain of, of going against God. We, we, we are, are not joining God when he's, when he's moving. There might be a, a moment that God has given us something in our life for us to do and we miss it because we're, our sin has blinded us. So God sent a storm. As God controlled nature just as like Jesus did later, who stilled it. But verse 4 says, But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea. It literally means to hurl. It's the same word, that Hebrew word that was used in 1 Samuel when Saul cast or hurled a spear at David. God was angry at Jonah that he hurled a wind upon the storm of the sea that it might be uproar to bring a message of repentance to Jonah. That Jonah was running from the Lord and so the Lord then took this and put this mighty, it says it was a mighty tempest. In verse five, it says the sailors, well, the word actually means the salts. These were, these were sailors who were lifetime sailors that had probably sailed through storms many times. But what do we read? They were scared for their life. Whatever type of, of storm this was, it was unlike anything that they knew of to the point that these polytheistic sailors were praying to their own gods and doing everything because they knew it was unlike anything they had ever experienced. Brothers and sisters, a Christian may sail in the wrong boat you may be heading in the wrong direction. You may be seeking to hide from God's presence. But God will never give up on you. He wants you to follow him. He might send a storm. He might some something to humble you. He might tell you to repent of your ways and turn and follow him. Hebrews 12, 5 says... And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. And dear, suffering is discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what a son is there is that the father does not discipline. And dear, suffering is discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. But if you, were a, if you were without discipline, which all received, then you were illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us, and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our benefit so that we share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Do you acknowledge that you're running from God right now? Do you know that you're sinning? And maybe you're experiencing some sort of discipline from God to call you back. God is calling you to repent 
and believe on him and turn from your ways. God is disciplining you not because he doesn't love you, but because he does and wants what's best for you. Maybe it's this that God is telling you to repent and change course. Because the good news is we're like Jonah because we all need God's grace. We're like Jonah because we all need God's grace. Jonah tells the polytheistic Polynesian soldier, uh, sailors that, that his God made the sea. And they asked him, why is this happening? And he told him that, well, I serve the God who made the sea. And, and, and I know that I am the one that is the cause of all this. I have been disobedient to him. And they, it says they were fearful. <laughs> you disobeyed this God? Now, you would think, what would they normally do? Just let's kill him now, right? Let's just kill him and be done with this. But actually, what they did was amazing. They started to row. They started to save him. They tried to do something different. But then they relented knowing that they had to obey God. And they threw him over the side. They showed him grace. And as a matter of fact, at the end result, they praised God for their deliverance. If you worry that you have run for God for too long or too far, be assured by this account of Jonah, you have not. God is able to give grace to the humble and to reach you where you are and to give you forgiveness for what you need. This storm shows that there were three groups that really needed God's grace. I mean, we know it's very simple. And no matter what your worldview is, we would say the Ninevites needed grace. They needed to repent, and they needed some sort of saving. But here we also see these sailors. They were going about confused, maybe even rejecting the idea. They, they were confused about who God was, but in the end, they received some sort of grace measure as they obeyed God. And even in the end, they found peace as the storm was quieted. And even in the end of this part of Jonah, we see God's grace to Jonah. I mean, God could have said, okay, I'm going to get a different prophet. I'm going to let you die in the pieces of this ship, this boat. I'm going to let you be done with yourself. Let your sin take you to a place that you're no longer being used to be. But by God's grace, by God's grace, he saved Jonah. He uses Jonah. And we know the end of the story that the Ninevites repent and believe. Now, it's not the story that we would go, right? I mean, who would say, God saved me by letting me be swallowed by a fish, right? That, that's not how we really want to receive grace of God. But in the end, instead of death, he received God's forgiveness and use. But as we see these people in this, we understand that no matter how good we are or how much we think good we are, we need the grace of God. There was a quote that I shared on social media this week that I thought was very appropriate to this. What Jerry Bridges wrote, 
Your bad days are never so bad that you are outside the reach of God's grace. And your good days are never so good that you are outside the need of God's grace. How do we receive God's grace? Well, friend, if you're here today or watching online, or the only way to receive God's grace is through his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, who took our sins, who raised from the dead three days later, that if we turn to him, we will receive grace. 1 Peter 2, 24 to 25 says, He himself bore our sins in the body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like a sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Boy, Jonah was going astray. Jonah was a sheep running from God. But God brought him back to himself. This story stands as warning that we can't run God. We can't ignore God. We can't rebel against God. But this story is about God's grace. Grace for the non-going Jonah. Grace for the gospel-receiving Nineveh. Brothers and sisters, let us hear this today. That Jonah is a recipient of grace and a messenger of grace. And maybe you're in a place where you need to receive grace. But maybe there's another place where you need to be the messenger of grace. Will you go in God's sovereign plan to go to your neighbor, to your friend, to your family member and share this good news of the gospel? That when you've, we've divvied up, excuse me, we've divvied up teams when we go to the gospel to every home and you walk up the stairs to that one door that God has placed you right in that moment for you to share God's grace. Brothers and sisters, we are Jonah. We need to understand we are rebels against God. But that praise God. He is a God of grace who chases after us. We are Jonah, and we need to receive grace. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this message and this word in your book to help us see our need, to challenge us of our sin. Even those of us who count, of our, count ourselves as righteous, Lord, help us to see that you are seeking after us and wanting us to respond to grace. Help us to see that we can be messengers of grace. And Heavenly Father, if there's someone here that has run from God, help them to see he is very near. God, I pray right now that we would respond to this message of grace and take it wherever you send us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.